Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome back to episode number 12 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Now, before I get into any UFC or boxing topics, I'd like to touch on what's going on in this country and really around the world in light of the recent protests and riots and looting. Now, when I watched the video of George Floyd being murdered at the hands of those who are sworn to protect us, I was outraged, disgusted, baffled. I thought we were past this as a country that we had moved on and were treating people correctly. But the truth is, we are not. And there is institutionalized racism in this country. The cops, the police force, were first instituted to protect the white people from the black people. And I feel like that's still how they do their business. Save the whites, but do whatever you want to the black people and it's just not right and it's not fair to anyone but what I saw in that video was really a sign of bigger issues than just racism black lives matter and the civil unrest that we're seeing that outrage the rightful outrage that we see between the oppressed and the oppressors which right now is law enforcement. Law enforcement has been given a bad rap, and they deserve it. The countless killings of young black men, the fact that they're more likely to be incarcerated, five times more likely than their white counterparts, that is simply not right. The color of your skin should not dictate your place in life or whether or not you go to prison. The bigger issue it really brought to light was that our systems in this country are broken and they only favor the 1%. When you look at it, our judicial system is broken, our police force is broken, our educational system is broken, our housing system is broken, the way we segregate where people are destined to live based off the color of their skin or their economic standing. This country was founded on the ideals of social mobility, of being able to better yourself through education and hard work. But when the oppressed continue to be oppressed by the police force, by the laws, by the judicial system that incarcerates so many innocent black people versus the amount of white people that may or may not have committed the crimes, but the judicial system tends to be much more favorable to them. And this just can't stand. We need more justice in the judicial system because that's what it's supposed to stand for. It's not just supposed to only favor one section of society more than the other. That's not what the ideals of this country are based off of. 
the fact that all men are created equal should actually mean something and be practiced in society. Unfortunately, it is not. And it's ridiculous what's going on. We have had enough. It's time for change and it's time for actual leadership to step up and institute these changes and take out the bad seeds. And if that's possible, maybe we can have a better future for the next generation. But this generation of millennials and hopefully of older people has had enough and we need to see change because not much has changed since the 1992 Rodney King riots. We're still seeing the same police brutality. We're still seeing black men unfairly racially profiled and it has to stop. And I believe that change is coming and that there is a brighter future ahead. But then I get disheartened when I see videos online of the protests and of the police spraying black men with pepper spray while leaving the white people alone. What's up with that? We need to stop this behavior and need to hold these people accountable because the cops believe they have immunity that, you know, they're on the right side of the law and therefore any wrongdoing that they commit, they'll, uh, you know, get off, they'll be acquitted. And that type of behavior, that type of injustice in our judicial system has to stop. And hopefully with this incredibly visceral, gut-wrenching video of George Floyd, we begun to, we begin to see actual change in how things are done and how police officers are prosecuted for murders, for excessive use of force, for all the terrible things they do to these innocent people that don't deserve this type of treatment and mostly they're getting this type of treatment because of their the color of their skin and this has to stop and I believe with enough change with enough outrage we're going to see real policy changes and hopefully there will be a brighter future ahead for future generations thank you I just want to use a metaphor to kind of put it a bit more in perspective say you have to get your eyes checked but your appendix is bursting. Obviously, you're going to take care of your appendix first. Well, that's how racism is in this country. It's our appendix bursting. And until we deal with that issue, the issue of getting our eyes checked or whatever other ailments we may have can't be dealt with until we deal with this deep underlying issue, our ugly slavery history background that uh, America was founded on and we need to move past it as a collective unit it just can't be black people fighting and that's what I really like to see in these protests is the diversity in the crowds white people black people Mexicans Asians Latinos all banding together for the same purpose of justice and fighting this racial inequality, this divide that we see over and over. And hopefully it will stop and the next generation will see the fruits of these protests because I think we all want the same thing. We want to see people treated fairly and basically it comes down to living by the golden rule. 
treat others as you would want to be treated. It's really as simple as that. Something we learn in preschool or elementary school, treat others as you would want to be treated. And I think if we live by this golden rule and we see it practiced in law enforcement, in the judicial system, we're in the prison system, we're going to see a lot of good change come about. But it has to be collective and it has to come from the people that are in power and have the power to change these practices. So thank you for listening to my little political rant that I had. And now I'm going to get back to some UFC topics. Thank you. I'd like to start out by recapping this past weekend's UFC fight night, Woodley versus Burns. And I'd like to start with one of the undercard fights, actually, between Caitlin Chikugian and Antonina Shevchenko. Now, Antonina Shevchenko is actually the older sister of the great Valentina Shevchenko. However, it appears that their mixed martial arts skills are quite different, as Chikugian absolutely dominated the older sister of Valentina. Let's just look at the fight stats here uh, really quickly for Chikugian versus Shevchenko. Chikugian ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision after three rounds. And you look at the total strikes, 200 out of 240 landed for Chikugian versus only 37 out of 76 landed for Shevchenko and then you look at that control time 10 minutes and 28 seconds of ground control time for Chikugian and zero seconds of control time for Shevchenko she was getting absolutely dominated on the mat couldn't really wrestle out of it and uh, on the feet she was also getting outstriked and it just shows me that Chikugian looks more motivated after her last loss to the other Shevchenko sister and it looks like she wanted to take out that frustration and uh, that loss on the older sister and it looks like she was able to do that in emphatic fashion and it was a great performance for the American uh, fighter and we'll see where she goes from here if she does indeed get that rematch against Valentina the younger sister of Antonina. It's very interesting because you would figure with Antonina being older that she'd teach her younger sister Valentina some skills and uh, perhaps be even better than her, but that's not the case at all. Valentina is just a very special fighter and it appears that her sister was not given the same gifts and maybe not the same work ethic as her younger uh, champion sister who has really only lost to Amanda Nunes and that was by decision. So I'd love to see Shevchenko and Nunes get it on once again to see who truly is the best women's fighter in the UFC right now. It is Nunes because she did beat Shevchenko, but I totally believe that uh, a rematch is warranted especially because Nunes and Shevchenko can't really seem to find quality opponents that are really going to test them inside the octagon like they were tested against each other when they fought previously so we'll see if that happens it would probably be the biggest fight that you can make right now in the UFC in terms of uh, on the women's side I can't really think of two bigger stars 
in uh, women's MMA than Nunes and Valentina Shevchenko. So we'll see if uh, we get our wish and see if that fight does happen. But first things first, of course, we know coming up this weekend on June 6th in the main event at UFC 250, we have Amanda Nunes defending her title against Felicia Spencer. I'm going to get to the preview of that fight a little bit later in the episode, so uh, stay tuned for that. Now, moving on to the main event of UFC Fight Night, Woodley versus Burns. We had Tyron Woodley, the former welterweight champion for about three years from 2016 to 2019, taking on an up-and-coming contender in Gilbert Burns, a Brazilian fighter who comes from a jiu-jitsu background, is very skilled on the ground, and appears to have an ever-improving striking game as he showed once again against Tyron Woodley and Gilbert Burns coming into this fight was the slight underdog but it looked like the odds should have been uh, in the favor of Burns because he absolutely dominated this fight and let me just uh, look at the stats for you here really quickly just to give you some background on how the total domination happened of a former great champion in Tyron Woodley whose best days appear to be behind him And at 38 years old, Tyron Woodley is fighting father time, and perhaps he should just retire because he is a great analyst for the UFC on ESPN, and he could continue to do that and not get embarrassed more like he was in the octagon against Kamara Usman and then more recently against Gilbert Burns. So for the total strikes landed, Gilbert Burns landed 156 out of 211 total strikes, while Woodley only landed 65 out of 101 total strikes. That's not a very good winning formula, unless you're going to get that quick flash knockout, but that never came for Woodley, and he really hasn't had a knockout win since he knocked out Robbie Lawler all those years ago. And uh, then you look at the control time. Woodley only had 2 minutes and 40 seconds of ground control time, while Gilbert Burns had 7 minutes and 58 seconds of ground control time, nearly submitting him at the end of a round, but Woodley was saved by the bell. And you could just see that the fight was not going for Woodley, uh, really, since the opening bell in the first round, because Woodley had a cut open up, uh, I believe, on his eyebrow. And ever since then, it appears he was somewhat out of it. And Woodley really wasn't throwing that much. Usually you see him more aggressive, really going for it. But against Burns, Woodley really just did not fight with any heart, with any determination to once again reach the mountaintop and become the welterweight champion once again. But it appears that there's no chance of that happening for Woodley. And we'll see where he goes from here. Burns looked like the fresher fighter in there. He looked like the fighter that wanted it more, that had the youth and the skills and the speed advantage and the aggressiveness advantage to overtake Woodley and not really ever give him a chance of coming back in the fight. And it's really sad to see this from Woodley because we thought of him as this great champion that was basically unbeatable until he ran into the Nigerian fighter Kamara Usman. And then 
this uh, sudden wall of invincibility was tore down. And this is kind of the theme we see in many fighters' careers, whether it be a Conor McGregor or a Ronda Rousey. Or even in boxing, like with Anthony Joshua and Gennady Golovkin, we think until these fighters lose that they can't be beat. But then when they are beaten, we see that they're human just like the rest of us. And they have flaws and things that they need to work on in their fight game. And some of the fighters run away like Ronda Rousey did when she retired. She didn't want to deal with the challenges of getting better and fighting in the octagon. Or we see some fighters take a break from the sport like Conor McGregor did, where he didn't fight for a couple years, but he came back recently against Donald Cerrone and looked absolutely terrific. So each fighter takes losses differently and takes the downfall of their career differently. So we'll see how Woodley deals with this loss. But for Gilbert Burns, it's nothing but great things for him. And if he doesn't get the title shot against Kamara Usman next, I would love to see him take on Colby Covington. I think that would be a very competitive fight between two guys that are absolute warriors before uh, they do get their chance to fight. Uh, against Kamara Usman. I think the winner of Gilbert Burns versus Colby Covington should get that next title shot against Kamara Usman. And it appears that Usman isn't really interested in fighting those fighters. And he's called out guys like Jorge Masvidal and Conor McGregor because he knows those would be big money fights. So we'll see if he gets his wish and uh, see where the welterweight division goes from here because no longer is Tyron Woodley at the top. Right now, that's Kamara Usman, Gilbert Burns, Kobe Covington. Names like that are at the top of the welterweight division. Even Jorge Masvidal. We'll see where he goes from here after an absolutely stellar past few fights that saw Jorge Masvidal become one of the biggest stars in all of the UFC. The welterweight division just got a whole lot more interesting with the up-and-coming Gilbert Burns uh, appearing very committed, very determined to continuing his upward trajectory in the UFC. And we'll see where he goes from here. But it was a great performance against a former champion. And he definitely proved that he has the wrestling skills and the striking skills to probably compete with anyone in the division. And I think the move up from 155 pounds to 170 was great for Gilbert Burns. He didn't have to cut as much weight. And his strength and his power has definitely carried over into the welterweight division. While you're waiting out this coronavirus pandemic at home, you can still have some fun betting with our partner betonline.ag. No NBA, NHL, or, or MLB, but don't worry, BetOnline still has hundreds of games, events, and sports to wager on. NASCAR is back, Madden and NBA 2K simulations, UFC, online casino with poker and blackjack. They're still fun to be had, so go to BetOnline.ag. Ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And coming up on June 6th from UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, The first fight on the card in the prelims, we actually have Gilbert Burns' 
younger brother, Herbert Burns, taking on Evan Dunham. And I'm going to pick Herbert Burns here to get the win. I just think he has the wrestling and striking skills to overtake Dunham. And he will likely be very motivated to come out with a great performance to back up what his uh, brother did just the weekend prior against the great former champion in Tyron Woodley. And before I move on to more previewing of UFC 250, let me just tell you the rankings of the UFC welterweights following Gilbert Burns' win this past weekend. At the top, we have Kamara Usman, and then the number one contender right now is Gilbert Burns, number two, Colby Covington, number three, Jorge Masvidal, and number four is Tyron Woodley, number five is Leon Edwards, and number six is Stephen Thompson, and number seven is Damian Maya. So I'd love to see, like I said earlier, Gilbert Burns take on Colby Covington, and then perhaps... Jorge Masvidal take on Kamara Usman and maybe have Tyron Woodley fight against Leon Edwards. I know that fight was previously scheduled, so perhaps we could uh, get to see that later on. Getting back to UFC 250 and the first fight on the card between Evan Dunham and Herbert Burns, the younger brother of Gilbert Burns. The odds for this fight is Evan Dunham checking in as the underdog at plus 190, while Herbert Burns is the favorite at minus 230. And as I stated previously, I'm going to have to go with Burns here to get another win for his family. And it seems like these two brothers uh, are great for the UFC, and we'll see how far they can go. The third fight on the UFC fight card is a bantamweight fight between Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sandhagen. Sterling is 30 years old, 5'7", 135 pounds, with a 71-inch reach. His opponent, Corey Sandhagen, is 28 years old, 5'11", 135 pounds, with a 70-inch reach. And you look at their takedown accuracy. Sandhagen has a higher takedown accuracy at 50%, while Aljamain Sterling has a takedown accuracy of 29.58%. So it'll be interesting to see how this fight plays out, if it's contested mostly on the feet, or if there's also some grappling involved as well. It should be a very competitive fight and perhaps a contender for fight of the night because these two guys will absolutely throw down and be very motivated to get a title shot at 135 pounds. Uh, And I believe the winner should in fact get that next title shot of the winner between Peter Yan and Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo and Peter Yan are scheduled to fight for the 135-pound undisputed UFC championship, and I believe the winner of that fight should take on the winner of Aljamain Sterling versus Corey Sandhagen. And looking at the odds for this fight, Aljamain Sterling checks in as a slight favorite at minus 115, while his opponent, Corey Sandhagen, is a slight underdog at minus 105.
And right now in the bantamweight division, there is no champion following the surprising retirement of Henry Cejudo. Following his second round KO win over Dominic Cruz at UFC 249. But looking at the bantamweight rankings uh, on the UFC website, at the top we have Marlon Moraes, who previously lost to Henry Cejudo in his title fight. And then second, we have Aljamain Sterling. Third, Peter Jan. Fourth, Corey Sandhagen. Fifth, Rafael Asuncao. Sixth, Jose Aldo. Seventh, Pedro Munoz. Eighth, Jimmy Rivera. And ninth, Cody Garbrandt. So the fight between Corey Sandhagen and Aljamain Sterling features the second-ranked bantamweight in Aljamain Sterling taking on the fourth-ranked bantamweight in Corey Sandhagen. So you can bet that this fight has a lot of title implications going with it. Corey Sandhagen is undefeated since entering the UFC in 2018. His overall record is 12-1 with four wins coming by knockout, three by submission, and five by decision. Most recently, he beat Rafael Asuncao by unanimous decision. Before that, he beat John Lineker by split decision. And previous to that, he beat Mario Bautista by submission armbar in the first round. Corey Sandhagen is an excellent striker and also a talented submission artist as he's shown with three submission wins. And he's really hard to prepare for because of his unorthodox movement. He's capable of throwing flying knees, elbows, kicks. He just has a lot of variety to his striking game. And he tends to be very active in there, throwing a lot of strikes and not letting his opponent get too much time to rest. And it looks like he does have a very good gas tank as he doesn't seem to get too tired when his fights do go the distance. He seems to be the better conditioned athlete in there and I expect that to be the case once again against a very talented fighter in Aljamain Sterling. Sterling has a record of 18-3 and with two wins coming by knockout, seven by submission, and nine by decision. And he has one loss by knockout and two losses by decision. He's undefeated in his last four fights, beating Brett Johns by unanimous decision, then beating Cody Stammen by submission, Sulov Stretch, uh, and that was in the second round. He followed that up with a win over Jimmy Rivera by unanimous decision. And most recently, he beat Pedro Munoz by unanimous decision, and that was back in June of 2019. However, his losses have come to Brian Caraway, Rafael Asuncao, both by, by split decision. And then most recently, he lost to Marlon Moraz by KO knee uh, in the first round, and that was back in December of 2017. So he is undefeated since 2017 in his last four fights, and it appears that he uh, improves each time he goes into the octagon. However, his opponent, 
Corey Sandhagen most recently beat Rafael Asunso, a fighter that Aljamain Sterling lost to. So we'll see how their common opponents affect each other as uh, they go into this fight. But I am going to go ahead and pick Corey Sandhagen here to get the win. And I'm going to say by split decision because I think it's going to be a very close fight, very uh, competitive and well contested. But I do think that the overall striking variety and I believe he will also have the speed and power advantages going in there against Aljamain Sterling will be too much for the fighter to overcome. So because of those reasons and also because I believe that Sandhagen will be the more active fighter in there and will be able to get off more of his strikes. And then I think on the ground, I think he'll be able to hold his own against Sterling as they both do have some uh, submission wins on their record. So I think it should be an interesting fight, very competitive. But as I said previously, I'm going to go with Corey Sandhagen here to get the decision win and perhaps set up a title shot against the winner of Jose Aldo versus Peter Jan. However, I would love to see Marlon Moraes get back in there because he is an absolute beast at 135 pounds. And I do believe that eventually he could become champion as well. So with the retirement of Henry Cejudo, the bantamweight division gets a lot more interesting with all these uh, names perhaps fighting for the title one day. So we'll see what happens. But as I said, I'm picking Corey Sanhagen here to get the win. And it'll be by split decision, I'm going to say. Sandhagen will also have a four-inch height advantage over Sterling. And I really think that being the taller and quicker fighter in there is really going to work to Sandhagen's advantage. And I think he'll get the win. Now moving on from that fight to the co-main event, we have a Brazilian fighter in Rafael Assuncao taking on Cody Garbrandt. Garbrandt checks in as the slight favorite at minus 150, while his opponent, Rafael Asuncao, checks in as the slight underdog at plus 130. Asuncao is 37 years old, 5'5", five five, 135 pounds, with a 66-inch reach, while his opponent, Garbrandt, is 28 years old, 5'8", 135 pounds, with a 65-inch reach. This should be an interesting and competitive fight that really could go either way, and both fighters really need a win to reestablish relevancy in the bantamweight division. Garbrandt has a record of 11-3 and has lost his past three fights. Ever since his career-defining performance against Dominic Cruz, where he won the bantamweight title. However, following that great performance over Cruz, he lost to TJ Dillashaw twice, both by TKO. Uh, One was in the second round, and then their second fight, their rematch, he lost to him in the first round. And then most recently, he lost to Pedro Munoz by KO punches, and that was in the first round. His opponent, Rafael Asuncao, has much more experience than, than him, coming in with a record of 27-7. He has four wins by knockout, 
10 by submission and 13 by decision. So you can tell that he does most of his damage on the ground with those submission attempts and he really isn't that much of a striker. And then his losses have come 1 by knockout, 2 by submission, and 4 by decision. And Asuncao is coming off two straight losses. He lost to Corey Sandhagen by unanimous decision, the fighter that's in the previous fight against Aljamain Sterling. And then previous to that, he lost to Marlon Moraes by submission guillotine choke uh, in the first round. But prior to that, he did have some impressive wins. He beat Aljamain Sterling by split decision. Then he beat Marlon Moraes by split decision. He beat Matthew Lopez by KO Punch in the third round and beat Rob Font by unanimous decision. That was back in July of 2018. But since that fight, as I said previously, he lost his last two fights to Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Moraes. So both these fighters and Garnbrun and Asuncao really need a win to regain some momentum. And Garnbrun is the former champion, so he does have that championship-level experience, whereas Asuncao has beat the best guys in the bantamweight division, but he's also lost to them uh, as he lost to Moraes in their rematch after previously beating him. And obviously, youth is on the side of Garmbron as he is uh, nine years younger than the 37-year-old Asuncao. And while Asuncao does have the experience advantage, he is nowhere near the striker that Garmbron is. And that absolute virtuoso performance that Garmbron put on against Dominic Cruz is something he's going to have to channel once again in order to come out on top against the very game grappler in Asuncao who will likely be looking to take Gombrandt down and get a submission victory. However, Gombrandt has never been submitted before in his career, and he's definitely been in there against some good grapplers like Dominic Cruz and Tegea Mizugaki, and uh, Rafael Asenso is definitely no slouch on the ground, so Gombrandt is really going to want to keep this fight on the feet because that's where his advantage mostly lies. And I think Garnbrandt will have the youth advantage, obviously, but he'll also have the speed advantage and also the striking power advantage, where Asuncao will have the advantage in is on the ground in submission attempts and grappling. But I expect a, a majority of this fight to be fought on the feet. And Garnbrandt has previously stated that he's going to put his past demons behind him and he's going to come in as a new and refreshed fighter in this next fight and he's uh, claiming that he's going to retake the bantamweight title or perhaps move up to flyweight at 145 pounds. So we'll see where Garnbrandt goes from here but it all starts with a win over the older and more experienced Asuncao and I'm going to go ahead and pick Garnbrandt to get the win here by a third round TKO. I just think his striking advantages and speed advantages will be too much for the older Asuncao to overcome. And Asuncao has a lot of miles on him. He's been in the UFC since 2011 and he fought professionally beginning in 2004. So that's uh, 16 years of professional fighting. 
that's quite a lot, and it seems like he could be ending uh, his career very shortly at 37 years old. But if he puts on a great performance and gets a submission victory over Gombrandt, which is really the only way I can see a Sunset winning this fight, then he is uh, redeemed once again. Just as we saw previously when Glover Teixeira uh, beat up Anthony Smith, perhaps uh, a Sunset could have a similar performance. But I just don't see that happening because Gombrandt should be hungry following three straight knockout losses. And he's a former champion, and that performance he put on against Dominic Cruz and in previous fights, that has to be somewhere in him once again. And I think he's improved since his three losses, and uh, we'll see what happens coming up this Saturday. Garmbron has been fighting professionally since 2012 and has been fighting in the UFC since 2015. And Garmbron's last win actually came all the way back in 2016 against Dominic Cruz. And he had a very active 2016 when you look at his record. He fought four times alone in 2016. That's very active to fight four times in one year. And he won all those fights. And then uh, he fought TJ Dillashaw in 2017. And then he didn't fight again until 2018. And uh, his most recent fight was all the way back in March of 2019. So he's coming off more than a year layoff out of the octagon. And it'll be interesting to see how Gombrandt looks uh, in the octagon in his, uh, you know, comeback fight against Rafael Asensio. And if he looks like a shell of his former self, if he looks slow, and if he uh, isn't ready to grapple with Asensio, then Asensio will take full advantage of a... a less than motivated opponent and get the win but judging by uh Garmbrandt's pre-fight talk saying that that he's going to put his demons behind him and he's going to come out as a better fighter I just really can't pick against that at this point and the nine-year uh age advantage that uh Garmbrandt has over the older uh, Sun Tzu should be enough for him to get the win so as I stated previously I'm picking Garmbrandt here to get the win here by a third round TKO. So we'll see what happens. And if Garbrandt can't get the win, then Rafael Asensio will be in a great position as he has previously beaten fighters like Marlon Moraes. And he would set himself up nicely, perhaps, to get his first title shot in his uh, great career that Asensio has had, beating some very quality fighters. This fight really could go either way depending on both fighters' motivation. And after UFC 250, we're really going to get a much better picture of where the bantamweight division stands as we have two big bantamweight fights going on with Aljamain Sterling taking on Corey Sandhagen and then, of course, Cody Garbrandt taking on Rafael Asuncao. Now moving on from those two bantamweight fights and into the main event, we have a woman's featherweight title fight between perhaps the greatest uh, MMA woman's fighter that the UFC has ever seen in Amanda Nunes taking on a Canadian challenger in uh, Felicia Spencer. Amanda Nunes is a Brazilian fighter and she's the double champion in the UFC at 135 pounds at bantamweight and then also at 145 pounds at featherweight and in the main event at UFC 250. 
She will be defending her 145-pound featherweight title against Felicia Spencer. Nunez is 32 years old. She's 5'8", 145 pounds with a 69-inch reach. Her opponent, Felicia Spencer, is 29 years old, 5 foot 6, 145 pounds with a 68 inch reach. As I was talking about previously in this episode, there's an air of invincibility that comes with Nunes because she hasn't lost in so long and she's the double champion and it just seems like she's unbeatable. And sometimes we get these fighters that are like that until they lose. And until Nunes loses, really we can't say that any fighter in the, the any women's division is any better than her. And the odds for this fight aren't really that close at all. Nunes checks in as a huge favorite at minus 650, while her opponent Spencer checks in as a big underdog at plus 475. And looking at Nuna's record, she is 19-4 and four, with 13 of those wins coming by knockout, 3 by submission, and 3 by decision. And her last loss came all the way back in 2014. So for 6 years and counting, she is undefeated. And her wins have come against the best the sport has had to offer. She's beaten... Valentina Shevchenko by unanimous decision, Misha Tate by submission rear naked choke, Ronda Rousey by TKO punches in the first round, and then once again she beat Valentina Shevchenko by split decision. She beat Raquel Pennington by TKO punches in the fifth round, and then a very impressive performance, she beat Chris Cyborg by KO punch in the first round. Cyborg was considered this very scary fighter, previously unbeatable, and then Nunes just walked right through her and beat her by first round TKO. I thought that was her most impressive performance she's had in her career. A KO win over Chris Cyborg in the first round, very impressive. She followed that up with a Win over Holly Holm, TKO, head kick, and punches in the first round. And then her most recent win came against Jermaine Durandamine, a unanimous decision win. And that came back in December of 2019. So this will be her first fight in 2020, and it will come against Felicia Spencer. This will be Nunes' first time defending her 145-pound featherweight belt ever since she beat Chris Cyborg by KO Punch to win that belt. Uh, Since then, she has defended her bantamweight title twice, but has yet to defend her featherweight title. And this will be her first title defense against Spencer. And looking at Spencer's record, she is 8-1. And two of those wins have come by knockout, four by submission, and two by decision. And her one loss came against Chris Cyborg by unanimous decision. And that was back in July of 2019. Her most recent win came over Zara Ferran Dos Santos. TKO punches and elbows. And that was back in February of 2020. So she's coming off a first round win over Dos Santos. 
and that that's great because she came up against Chris Cyborg, a very tough fighter, and did not get knocked out by her. She lasted um, three rounds against the monster Cyborg and uh, lost by unanimous decision, but acquitted herself well, was somewhat competitive in that fight, but ultimately the uh, quality of Cyborg was too much for Spencer. And judging by how both fighters fared against Chris Cyborg, it's kind of an indication of how this fight could go. And I just think Nunes will have the speed advantage, the stamina advantage, the power punching advantage, the striking skills that are really a step above really any other fighter that's fighting in women's MMA. And I think Felicia Spencer is in for a rude awakening if she really thinks she has a chance to beat the great Amanda Nunes. Nunes has been fighting longer than her. She's fought better opponents than her. She has more experience. She has more knockout power. And that's why I'm going to predict that Nunes gets another TKO win over Spencer. Uh, I'm going to say a second round TKO victory for Amanda Nunes. And while Felicia Spencer is a bigger fighter than Nunes, she is going to be shorter by two inches and also have a one-inch reach disadvantage. And I think those advantages coupled with the experience of Nunes and her great championship pedigree will just be too much for uh, Spencer to overcome. So I'm going to pick Nunes here to win by second round TKO and retain her title and continue to be the double champion in the UFC. So that concludes my picks for UFC 250. And just some uh, housekeeping notes here. The main card is on pay-per-view. It begins at 7 p.m. Pacific time. The prelims are on ESPN and ESPN Plus at 5 p.m. And then the early prelims are on ESPN and ESPN Plus at uh, starting at 3 p.m. And it's uh, from the UFC Apex from Las Vegas, Nevada, just as uh, last week's card was also from the UFC Apex. Well, that concludes my UFC topics for this week's episode. Guess what? Boxing is back in June. Let me hit some of the bigger fights coming up in June in boxing. On June 6th, we have Carlos Molina taking on Michi Munoz, 10 rounds, junior middleweights from Mexico. And then on June 9th, we have Shakur Stevenson taking on Felix Caraballo, 10 rounds, junior lightweights. And that will be on ESPN. And then in the co-main event, we have Michaela Meyer, a former Olympian, taking on Helen Joseph, 10 rounds, junior lightweights. So it'll be a good fight card. Shakur Stevenson is one of the best up-and-coming fighters in all of boxing. He's still young, and he's a former Olympian silver medalist from the Rio Games in 2016. And since turning professional, Shakur Stevenson is undefeated with a record of 13-0 with 7 wins coming by knockout and 6 by decision. Most recently, he beat Joet Gonzalez by unanimous decision, and that was back in October of 2019. He was previously scheduled to fight in March, but that fight was postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. 
However, he is now scheduled to fight Felix Carballo, a Puerto Rican fighter, and that's coming up June 9th from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. So we have that fight to look forward to. And I have to admit, I'm not really too familiar with his opponent in Felix Carballo. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Shakur Stevenson to continue on his upward trajectory in the world of professional boxing and get another win over Carballo. I'm going to say a 10th round TKO win for uh, Shakur Stevenson there as he is one of the best up-and-coming fighters in all of boxing and he's only 22 years old so he has a very bright future ahead of him and don't forget in the co-main event Michaela Meyer is one of the best up-and-coming women's fighters in boxing and we'll see if she can get a win once again. Michaela Meyer is undefeated with 12 wins and 5 have come by knockout and 7 of her wins have come by decision. And most recently, she beat Alejandra Soledad Zamora by a six-round RTD. And that was back in October of 2019. So both these fighters in Shakur Stevenson and Michaela Meyer are both American. And they're both very uh, well-respected in the boxing world. And I think they'll both get a victory in what marks boxing's really first big card since uh, the coronavirus pandemic has really caused a halt to boxing. And then besides that, there's also some other boxing matches to look forward to. On June 11th, also from Las Vegas and on ESPN, we have Jesse Magdaleno taking on Yenifil Vicente, 10 rounds, junior lightweights. And then in the co-main event, Adam Lopez will be taking on Luis Correa, 10 rounds, featherweights. So that should be a good fight card, and I'm going to go ahead and pick Jesse Magdaleno to get the win there over Vicente. And then on June 18th from Las Vegas and also on ESPN, we have Jose Pedraza taking on Mikel Lespierre, 10 rounds, junior welterweights. And since I'm not too familiar with Les Pierre, I'm going to go ahead and pick Jose Pedraza to win that fight. And then don't forget, on June 20th from Mexico City on ESPN+, Plus, we have one of the best smaller fighters in Emmanuel Navarrete taking on Uriel Lopez, 10 rounds, junior featherweights. Of course, we know Emmanuel Navarrete since his star-making performance against Isaac Dogbo. And I expect Navarrete to retain his title and win against uh, Uriel Lopez. And then in the co-main event, we have Luis Neri fighting. And Neri is also a very quality fighter. Right now, the opponent has not been set, but that fight is coming up on June 20th. So it's great to have not only the UFC back, but now also a full slate of boxing back coming up in June. So it should be a great month for all boxing and MMA fans as we have both sports to look forward to, which is really the first time in a while that I can say this. So just look forward to the fights in June. And don't forget, coming up on June 6th, UFC 250. And then following that, on June 9th, we have Shakur Stevenson taking on Felix Caraballo. So I am really looking forward to these fights and we'll see what happens.
Thank you so much for listening. This concludes episode number 12 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. Kobe forever, Mamba forever, no justice, no peace. I'm your host, Jason Barron, and check back next week for my next episode. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great weekend, and enjoy the fights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.